Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm Chris Dixon, and today I had a great conversation with Dr. Richard Winters. Dr. Winters is a career physician focusing on emergency medicine working out of the Mayo Clinic, and he's grown into a trainer, executive coach, and developer of future leaders. And what we talked about today was how he leverages the skills that he's seen in his career in those environments to help new and developing leaders sharpen their skills. We talked about what it means to create a shared reality, to identify the fears and worries of your team, and infused a shared vision of what success looks like in the future. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Winters. So, hey, everybody, and welcome. We're here with Dr. Richard Winters, who is an emergency physician at the Mayo Clinic. And he's got a new book just released that is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Congratulations on that. And it is You're the Leader, Now What? Which is Leadership Lessons from the Mayo Clinic. And as Director of Leadership Development at the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Winters delivers programs that train leaders at all levels of healthcare in organizations worldwide. You're also an executive coach. You provide coaching at the Mayo Clinic, uh, from which you have graduated the Alex School of Medicine in 1994 and returned back to the Mayo Clinic in 2015. You served as managing partner for the Democratic Physician Group, department chair of an emergency department, and president of an 800-physician medical staff. And if that's not enough, CEO slash founder of a startup managed care organization, that's a long list of pretty cool accolades. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, it's great. Do you uh, mind sharing any anything else from your background that you think you uh, you'd like to share, or anything that brought you here today? Um. So, so I was born, and I knew from that moment that I was going to be exactly where I am today. You know, no, not at all. <laughs> so I was. I was in high school, not the best student. I think I graduated with a C minus average. So there's hope out there for any moms and dads uh, who are trying to figure out what, what's going on with their kids. And from that point forward, just uh, had a lot of experiences that have led me to be where I am right now in front of you. Oh, that's awesome. And got a new book. It's going well. Yeah, thankfully. Thankfully, it's nice to write something and have people read it. Yeah, <laughs> it's the first, the first step in the battle, right? It's, it's having it is. them read it. That's that's awesome. Okay, so what uh, has made you want to write a book? What was the inspiration for getting your your thoughts on paper, getting it out to the world? Yeah, so I mean, I as I graduated from emergency medicine residency, you know, going to practice and start taking care of patients, and then start noticing that there's some inefficiencies and things I'd like to change. And so, to change things, you need to start stepping into leadership roles. And I was real good at walking into a patient's room and listening briefly and then writing some orders, you know, not suggestions, orders. And I thought that maybe leadership was going to be similar to that. And lo and behold, it is not at all similar to that. And so this concept of, of walking into a, a room full of colleagues and just saying and pointing out what you think should be done, it's really not an effective form of leadership. And so through the process uh, forward, kind of learning how to become an effective leader and then as you became an executive coach, I started realizing that others were, were facing the same thing, where we have this expertise, and this expertise is helpful. But then once we become leaders, how do we almost shed our expert experience to be able to move into this concept of facilitating and coaching and, and being open to exploring possible solutions? And, and so as I was meeting with colleagues uh, and coaching them, I would find over and over again uh, individuals in these situations where really complex scenarios, uh, you know, thorny challenges where their colleagues are all 
disagreeing and everyone's looking to this, this individual saying, now what? And so I wanted to write a book that was going to help leaders kind of figure out those situations, step away from their expertise, and then lead from a perspective of, of facilitating and coaching. I love that. It's a, you, in some circumstances, perhaps you're a subject matter expert or you excelled in an area that got you into a leadership role. And now you're in this leadership role in this classic mentality of, I tell you what needs to happen because I know everything. And that's just false. Or really, success is more of like, how do you extract from the collective wisdom of your team, create consensus? Like, what are the core skills behind how you create consensus in a room of people that are disagreeing? And it's, I think, what you're saying around the skills around facilitation. And I love that. It's it's an evolution of the way we think about leadership. Yeah, and it's much understanding some of the structures and the frameworks for how to do that. Just as I'm seeing a patient and there are specific frameworks that I use as I'm approaching things. And, and many leaders do not have that approach. And then also just the way we're thinking about making sense of the world ourselves and, and kind of our efficacy there. There are changes that go along as you become a, an effective leader. I wanted to ask you about that. So I'm, I'm glad you went there. So there's, there's, are there some skills that you developed when working in this environment as, as a physician that you see have parallels with just general leadership? Yeah, so I think and kind of go back to this idea of me going into a room and interviewing a patient and then writing an order. Um, it's, I think you can think of an emergency physician as doing that, but and actually that's probably not going to be a great emergency physician. The best emergency physician is going to go in the room, ask some questions, and then come out, talk to the nurses, talk to the pharmacist, get other perspective from the family, and really try to not anchor in our decision, you know, that just kind of just comes up in the moment. And so uh, leadership, the same thing. And so it's, it's tried, how do you, um, you know, each of us has our individual genius. How do we get together with almost the, the genius of the room or as what some would call the seniors, you know, the, this collective <laughs> wisdom before we start to move forward? Yeah, it's, it's if I'm saying this correctly, like you go into a room and you have to do a diagnosis, like a diagnostic, like what's all the information on the table here? No pun intended on the table and, and figure out what, like, what's the situation? Don't, don't go on your initial, you know, assumptions, challenge your assumptions, perhaps like collect all the information before you make a decision. And that's true. And uh, leadership scenarios as well. Yeah. I mean, we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots and, and no matter how good our analysis of a situation, no matter how much data we have, we're still making decisions behind our own blind spots. And so how best to get around that, but by gathering other perspectives before we move forward. Totally makes sense. And what about the, just the either perceived from the outside, not being a physician, but the perceived stress or kind of high paced, fast paced environment, or is it, does any of that lend itself from your experience to uh, leadership skills? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it requires agility. So when, when are you going fast and when are you slowing down? And there are times that a leader just needs to make a decision. I mean, there are times when you have to, you don't have all the information that you'd want and you just have to decide. And in those moments, I think in your mind, you think about, you know, quickly, what might other people do? What might be other approaches? But you just need to decide. And so that's one kind of decision. But then many kinds of decisions are not that way. Many kinds of decisions are instead of just moving forward and deciding, you need to pause and reflect and, and gather this sort of shared reality of perspectives before moving forward. And, and that agility is difficult for some. Some are very good at just commanding, making decisions. Others are very good at collaborating and maybe gaining consensus. 
um, it, it takes a, a leader who can do both of those things to really be successful. I was just going to say, don't you think there's a balance? Because if I've seen strength and opportunity on both extremes there in a, on the overly confident, bold decision-making leadership approach that you, you're going to miss your blind spots. You're going to overstep. You're not going to get the... You're not going to be sensitive enough to the information that's out there and the kind of, for lack of a better term, political relationship building you have to do to gain consensus to get your team bought in in your direction. Then the other side of that coin is you play the consensus game forever and never get anywhere make a decision. Yeah. And I can consensus probably isn't the best way for a leader to approach things. It's more like collaboration. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Mm. But I think it is. That's one of those terms that you think, well, if we can all just pull all of our ideas and then just meet in the middle. Generally, you need to to move forward in ways that have a direction that may be going against what maybe the majority thinks or maybe, uh, uh, you know, 30 percent of the individuals think. And so collaboration is, is the proper approach. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. How about from like a risk analysis or risk assessment, albeit perceived risk or real risk, how much have you been able to draw from being in such a high stakes environment for so many years and how that, you know, kind of parallels over into general leadership? Yeah, so I, and I just want to make sure, so from a risk perspective, I think anytime we're making decisions, there's a risk there. and, And I think it, again, depends on the situation. And so the risk of not deciding during those times of crisis is that you move forward with status quo and actually status quo is destructive. And so you don't want to be trapped in those situations. You need, you need to make decisions to try to almost discover how the environment reacts to your decision. And then as you do that, you start to gain some clarity. And so there are times when you make a decision and you're kind of poking the environment and seeing how it responds and moving forward. If you did nothing, though, it's, your risk goes up. And then on the other hand, as you're making decisions, I mean, there are those times, again, when you need to pull, bring a bunch of different perspectives together, and we know that our blind spots are actually our risk. And, and the, the improvement in our, in our ability to make decisions that kind of meet our goals, you know, you, you go up uh, maybe 10 to 15% by bringing in those other perspectives. Even during those times when you're making the best decisions, it's oftentimes not going to work out the way that you had predicted. And so how do we remain open to discovery and learning and again, adapting to those sorts of environments. Yeah. Is that where the uh, the component, if I understand uh, from your approach is like questioning best practice, like don't make the assumption that because something's been done, it should continue to be like question your assumptions. Yeah. I mean, I think as we look forward, many of us are in organizations where there's traditions 
And so these traditions, on one hand, form the basis of our culture, bring us together. But on the other hand, we need to innovate. And so oftentimes, as you're in meetings with your colleagues, you see this tension, you feel this tension about tradition versus innovation, and individuals will bring up best practice. And it's important for us to remember that best practice is by definition, past practice. And so when we're talking about best practice, we're actually talking about things that have worked in the past. Do they still hold? And I think that's a question before you move forward. Right. Just asking that question uh, is the important part because to your point, and I haven't thought of it that way, best practice is past practice because it was established as a best practice prior to that moment. Yeah. Okay. And then we talk about applying that in, in this innovation space. Any advice for someone who's uh, you know, kind of conflicted around best practice or, you know, challenging innovation. You talked about that tension in the room. Like, how can you break through that? I think the first thing is acknowledging that there is a, there is that tension. And so it's so easy for us to think about things in terms of dichotomies and yeses and nos, ones and zeros, this way or that way. But as we're in these really thorny challenges, it's actually all those things are are there. I mean, and that's just kind of a part of things. You have disagreement. And from the disagreement in perspectives, there may be multiple options for how you move forward. And, and you need to recognize that, that there is no single correct way of moving forward. And we, we often see that right now in social media as we're talking about politics and the way, the future of the world and those sorts of things is it's one side versus the other. It's, it's just not the reality of the way things work. It's really both sides. And how do we, how do we look within that gray, all the kind of the, you know, the bring things together to start to move forward and discover, discuss, to discover together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nuance. You have to acknowledge the nuance and the, the complexity of the scenario. It's not always so binary. It's, and then uh, also the yeah, mm-hmm. and then also the fears and worries. I mean, we all have fears and worries about what what might happen as we move forward. And I th- I think the you know uh, a thing that a leader should not do is try to avoid those fears and worries. Try to keep them in the darkness. Maybe if I don't mention this, maybe if I don't bring this forward, then it'll go away. And these are those monsters that just kind of live in the darkness. And we may decide in the moment and move forward and feel like, yeah, that's good without acknowledging the fears and worries, thinking that it's going to take time and, and that maybe we can't answer them all. But if we don't bring these things forward, they will be the monsters that will, heart, that will haunt our future strategic success. And so calling out, what are our fears? What are our worries moving forward? And then as we're establishing vision for how we're going to move forward, purposely calling out ways that we might mitigate or decrease the chance of those fears or worries from occurring, not just jumping over them. Uh, that's a great point. How, how do you, if you don't mind sharing, how do you, how would you facilitate that conversation? There's a couple of things that I think are really valuable. It's okay, let, let's bring the fears out. Let's acknowledge them and have that conversation. Then we talk, you were talking about vision, like where are we going? Uh, once we have an idea of where we're going, how do we mitigate against those those fears and worries, and and you know work through the the roadblocks, acknowledge some blind spots? Like, how would you uh, facilitate that on the front end and bring awareness to the the fears and worries? Yeah, so I think uh, I think of a process, and so and I call it roll forward, and the R is uh, we need to develop shared reality, and then next we move to what are the options, the things that we might do, and then finally, what's the way forward? And what we tend to do is we roll backwards. We just jump to the way forward and then try like all these other things, which we've skipped in the in the 
you know, thinking it's going to be efficient then start to haunt us and we start to think about things. So I think it's, first of all, understanding that we do need to develop some shared reality um, when we have these times where we can come together and, and, and establish different perspectives. And then honestly, it's just simply calling out, given our challenge and what we're wanting to do, what are the fears and worries we have? And as you do that, so how do you do that in a way that there's some psychological safety? Um, sometimes you're with a group of individuals that you know and trust, and people will just say their their fears and worries. Um, at other times, people are resistant or they they don't feel safe. They're worried that maybe you as the leader are going to hold this against them. And so then I think you develop processes where you, in your facilitation, that allow people to raise and uh, ideas safely and then report them out. And so this has been one of the great things about um, this movement from in real life IRL to URL, right? Our, uh, our, like, our video meetings is now we're using breakout rooms and things like that. And, I, and so I think uh, oftentimes what I'll do is I'll, what are the fears and worries? And so write these things down for yourself. Just take a minute or two and think about what are your fears and worries. And then, okay, now get together with a group of three or four colleagues here in the room, whether it's virtual or in real life, and discuss these fears and worries. And then now as groups, let's report out what are the fears and worries that you heard that came up. And as individuals as in groups report out, it's no longer now attached to an individual. It may be even something that they've heard about. They don't have to own it, but it's a way of bringing things, these things up. And as you, as you hear them, you write them down, you document them so that people can see this is what the fear, this is what the worry is. And then as you establish, okay, so now given these fears and worries, given these different perspectives, how might we move forward? You, you create this vision. And our vision is we're going to move forward in a way that decreases these fears and worries, that, that leverages the values of our organization. And so now given that, what are the options for what we might do? That's great. You can tell you're no stranger to workshopping. That's a, that's a good framework. <laughs> so you, when, creating psychological safety is a real thing. And it's, it's maybe more of a, a, a newer focus, at least in my experience over the years of working in, in these environments. It's the, the concept of acknowledging it uh, more broadly. I think it's really great because uh, it lets people feel more comfortable sharing because you otherwise have like large dominant voices in the room or people who are just comfortable putting it all out there. And then you you suppress the others who are less comfortable sharing. So if I if I can read that back, um, so you like journal, have have the, the participants write down individually what comes to mind and like small group share. Um, so you can build a little bit of momentum and then you can do large group share to, to kind of pull out the, the biggest takeaways, if I caught that correctly. Yeah, exactly right. And I, I think of, if you were to utter the word meeting, I think you'd probably get a collective groan of people like, oh, another meeting. Right. In, in actuality, most of our meetings are not meetings, they're tellings. And so as we're leading meetings, we actually want to meet. We want to come together around ideas and a way of doing this is having processes that allow us to do this. Otherwise, we're just telling. Absolutely. Okay, so create a shared reality. Um, that's something I'd like to talk to you about. What does that mean for you? And when, when we when we talk about a, what does it what does it mean? And b, like how does it demonstrate value or give value to the process? And so this is one of the things that attracted me to return to Mayo Clinic was that we lead through dyads and triads. And so what is that? So basically, within a department, there is a physician lead, a nursing lead, and an administrative lead. And so as as decisions are made the dyad or the triad come together and each of them has a different perspective. Certainly the nurses are going to have a different perspective from the physicians. 
The administrators are going to have a different perspective. And it's by pooling these different kind of shared perspectives that you can start to develop shared reality. Whereas me as a physician, I think this is what we should do. Once we gather these shared perspectives, again, agreements and disagreements, we start to see the challenge in different ways that, that helps us as we start to move forward. Without that, again, we're operating behind blind spots. And so I think executive teams, the same thing, um, and, and organizations, we want to figure out what are, what are the shared perspectives? What has not been said? What are the fears and worries? So that we can have perhaps a more accurate perspective of, of the stage of the arena that we're making the decision. That's great. And I was going to say it's like setting the stage appropriately so you can, or a platform to have a good discussion. Yeah. So creating shared reality, you talked about identifying those fears and worries, get them on the table because it's going to inform like what you should address when you think about where you want to go. Is that accurate? Yeah, Yeah. if you can restate that again, I apologize. Yeah, no, no problem. No, so I was just I'm just trying to process the flow and and I if I hope I'm saying it back correctly, but creating a shared reality so that you're on this the same page, you have a nice a platform for the discussion and calling out and identifying what are the fears and worries that you need to be aware of because having that knowledge will allow you when you think about where you want to go, like cast a vision for the business. If it's five years, one year, you know, this quarter, whatever's appropriate that you you can address those as you think about creating a shared vision. Yeah, because what happens when you don't develop shared reality? Uh, it, what happens is you move forward based on your expertise or the small leadership group's expertise and then people feel like they're unheard, and that's because they were not heard. And then, then what happens oftentimes, the leaders say, well, I already thought about this concern that you had, and I'd already thought about this. And, and it just creates a lot of resistance. And again, you're, you're operating behind blind spots. And so isn't it better to really give the individuals in your organization the voice and then to hear those voices? And we know right now we're talking about burnout and well-being, and we know how entwined a sense of shared reality, of shared purpose and values, a sense of autonomy, you know, a sense of being heard, a sense of being able to to help affect the environment that we're working in is. And if and if leaders aren't giving individuals the opportunity to just be heard as you're moving forward, you're going to really have some issues. Yeah, it comes to mind misalignment for sure on on at the very least buy-in to the the shared vision or purpose and have people operating in silos or just going after whatever they think is their contribution uh, that may not be uh, in alignment with the shared vision. So true. Yeah, and I've seen it. I'm sure you have too. Uh, is, <laughs> I've seen it, I've experienced it, and I've caused it. And also yeah. <laughs> all these things come together about you know how to approach things differently. So you've got the, you've got the full spectrum of experience to draw from there. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, well, sometimes that's what it takes to really be able to uh, share it back. You have to go yeah. through it. Self-acceptance is a big uh, component of being a good leader too. <laughs> Lead from the front. You make the mistakes so your team doesn't have to. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, can we talk a little bit more about your book? I'd love to hear like what was the, uh, the inspiration, the framework? Like, How did you uh, go through the process? I think, uh, so I went to, I went to business school and I learned a lot about management and, and, you know, kind of numbers and things like that. But I found that I was in, as I was in a leadership position, there, there were just some big concepts of uh, really, again, about how to facilitate individuals, uh, groups of individuals making decisions and how to coach one-to-one and over and over as I'm coaching leaders at all levels in the most senior levels, 
there are just these themes that just kept coming up. And I liked, like, I think of myself, I used to play uh, in uh, guitar and bands and things like that. And I, I really like the concept of producers. And I think of individuals like Brian Eno or Rick Rubin, who are famous producers. They bring these bands and all with, you know, the lead singer who knows what they're doing and all, you know, everyone has their different voices, but they're able to really bring the best out of a group. And for me, there have been frameworks that have been so helpful for me. And there, I think about the Kinevin framework from David Snowden. I think about the work of, of, of Bob Keegan and, and Lisa Leahy, you know, the immunity to change and adult development and all these sorts of things. And I wanted to create a book that had almost a playlist of things as you're encountering these difficult situations, these frameworks that you could use, that you could bring up in a moment, open up this chapter, and this is how you can approach things. And, and surely that was it. You're, it's these now what questions and well, it's right there. Uh, and hence the name. So you're yep. a leader. Now what? Exactly. And, and knowing, okay, I'm, I'm encountering this, this, this challenge. I've got a place I can go to that has a, um, a solution for me or an approach, a methodology. Exactly. So question, um, guitar. You play guitar. That was your, your instrument of choice? Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. What's your, what's your go-to guitar to play? Uh, I have a Fender Telecaster, actually. Right oh, Telecaster. Shoulder. Nice. Okay. That's humbuckers, right? The the pickups, if I understand. <laughs> yeah. Dual yeah. humbuckers. On yeah. I grew up around the music industry. My, my dad was a producer and uh, for, for some time in television and music. And uh, I play guitar as well. So big Sweet. fan. Yeah, big fan. The analogy of a, of, a, of a producer, I think, works really well in leadership. Or it's, it's almost the conductor in the orchestra. Absolutely. Yes, I love it. how to play the... You may know how to play the music, but it's really bringing these ideas together and then just making them so much better. It's great. I, you know who uh, you mentioned, Rick Rubin, and I was listening to him recently, and he he had made a comment that he was trying to relate the role of a producer on this podcast, and he said it was a lot like being a coach. And I was like, yeah, there you go. So the fact you said that is uh, is is very interesting. Insightful. Yep. Yeah. He he believes it to be uh, the same way you do, and what I had no idea his experience. Uh, and how many different musicians he'd worked with. That was pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. He has an <laughs> impressive list and of, of individuals that I listen to all the time. Same. Yeah. Same. Okay. Uh, so you've got this, this book. You talked about the, the way to utilize the book. Uh, is there anything from your experience as a physician in your training that helped inform the structure of the book? Because the, the, what came to mind was the way that you described like a common challenge and like that's produced a solution and almost like a, like an operating handbook for a, a leader going through common challenges. It, I wonder if there was something from your experience that helped uh, inform the way that you designed the book. Yeah. I mean, and also I, I think of it like an arc of a story or, or um, like a, a song, I guess, in some ways, which is, so first of all, I did not want a book that had a lot of fluff. And there are a lot of books that I've read where it's like, okay, get to it. And then as an emergency physician, I want to go to the next room and see the next patient because I've already gotten enough. And so I wanted it to be concise and 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 get to the point pretty rapidly. Um, and then also be easy to read. And so at the end of the chapters, there's summaries and you know what to do and, and how to reflect on what to do. Um, but it's really, a, I think there is a flow of, of, of how we lead and the things that we face. And those are the the problems that we face just in leading ourselves, and the way, how do we make sense of the world? And so there was an area that you wanted to talk about there, the one-to-one -one conversations that we're having with colleagues when people come to you, um, whether they're in difficulty or whether they're seeking lots of opportunity and how we relate to them. And then, and then finally, just the tactics of how to bring individuals together in the room 
when someone is is interrupting and disagrees with everything you're saying, um, when you leave the room and you've had a great conversation, but are we actually going to achieve results? And so is it's kind of the arc of of the way leaders experience the world. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a it's just the like you said the arc or the the flow of of how things typically progress uh, in a leadership experience. Yeah, and, and I and I like those books where I can just open up a chapter. And then go from there. Uh, I it, I didn't want to have a book that where you had to read the whole book through. I wanted something where you could read any chapter and hopefully get something out of it. Okay. Yeah. I, that 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 is, I appreciate that. By the way, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the what about leading with a story? And I know that's a a piece of of the book. And what does it mean for you to to lead with a story? And and why is that valuable in leadership? Yeah, so th- this is one of these great strengths of Mayo Clinic is this is, I'm in a basement right now and I'm recording uh, in Rochester, Minnesota and Mayo Clinic exists because there was a tornado that wiped out the town in, in late 1800s. And from there, there's a story of the sisters and the Mayo brothers coming together to create this organization. And then along the way, there's stories about, about them going out and and learning from others and bringing those learnings back in. There's stories about them meeting the needs of patients. And then each day we're hearing the stories of, of how we're helping to meet the needs of patients, these, these wonderful things that our colleagues are doing. And those stories are inspiring. And those stories reflect the values of the organization and the mission. And, and they really are, the, it's the thing that holds us together as an organization. And so, yes, innovation is at top of mind and how do we adapt? This innovation grows from these stories, from the history. And so, yes, we talked about best practices being past practice, but this kind of foundation of who we are and where we're going really is directed by the, the mission and the values that are reflected in these stories. Got it. That makes sense. I was going to ask you, and you went there as you put a bow on that, at the end, is 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 the story really helping to tell uh, or define what is the mission and what are the values of the team, a leader, organization? Etc. And I think any leader. So if you're trying to promote change and you're thinking about how to to adapt to challenges, think about the customer you're serving. Think about uh, the individuals within the organization. Think about those stories, and then tell the story that you're wanting to achieve and how you're going to get there. It, it is those stories that brings people to that bring people together. Yeah. Do you, do you see the value or benefit of having? You identify your story as a leader and bring awareness to the story of the organization that you're working in and, and trying to, to seek alignment in those and, and find the connectivity. Yeah. I mean, so I think that the, and if I'm hearing you right, I think the, the leader has their own story and the, the story isn't is necessarily, I guess it probably it is like I was going to say a superhero story where the superhero gets beaten back a couple of times where they make some mistakes and then eventually you win out in the end. And I think the best leadership stories are where, where the leader is reflecting on those mistakes that they've made on, on the times that they don't know what to do. Um, and, and on the stories that help them move forward. So I think the leader, the team, the organizational stories are, are, are very important. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, there's something to having visibility into your story. I think that it allows you to be a more transparent leader as well. Uh, and and sharing that and and for me knowing what my story is informs like okay well where am I coming from and where am I going, 
and is you know is the organization that I'm leading a part of that I own that I run whatever the context is it the are those two things aligned and is my story and the story of of what we're trying to build in our vision are those things working together to create a net greater positive result a lot of this is normalizing um I want and so a part of writing the book was writing about the dumb things that I've done in the past and and as I know that as I'm giving talks, one of the best ways to connect with the audience is to write up, talk about some of the dumb things I've done because it normalizes things because we've all done that and it brings us together. If I if those were hidden in the background, like who's this person from Mayo Clinic and why are they talking at me? It's just uh, I think the more the leaders can embrace and talk about the failures and the difficulties that they've had, the more human they are and the more it allows their colleagues to just to be human. Yeah. Yeah, Keith Cunningham. I'm not sure if you're familiar with with him. He's a one of a, one of the authors we tend to reference on here. Uh, but Keith Cunningham wrote a book called The Road Less Stupid. And it's a great <laughs> book, by the way. And and he talks about the dumb tax a lot. And I think it's good to bring some visibility to where you've paid some dumb tax because you, you could, uh, you know, give yourself some transparency and trust in doing so. But also, there's an opportunity to help people not pay that same tax. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I know I keep relating back to your experience uh, as a physician, but I find it really interesting um, how the, there could be a potential connection there. So I hope that's okay. Uh, but you, I know there's a either a chapter or an approach in the book that's taking charge in, in chaos or taking charge in chaotic environments. Is that coming from uh, experience in what I would assume would be a pretty typically chaotic environment in the yeah. hospitals? Yes, right. And so let's think about that. So let's the differentiation. And this is one of these things where I really rely upon. So David's, David Snowden and his Kinevin framework. Kinevin is C-Y-N-E-F-I-N. And he published a paper in the Harvard Business Review, I believe it was 2008. It just helps me to think about, to kind of map out the decisions that we're making. And there's a difference between uh, when we're in these environments that are unknown and the possibilities are unknown, there's a difference between complex issues with, with which we have some time to develop these shared perspectives versus the chaos, which is, okay, now no time and you need to make decisions. A lot of people, it's interesting, th think of emergency medicine. Oh, emergency physician, it must be chaos and crisis all the time. As someone who's been an emergency physician for 25 years, there's not much that surprises me. Um, and there are a lot of things that fit into frameworks. So a patient, you think about a trauma, someone who gets gunshot or something like that. Oh, that's a crisis of chaos. It's actually, we know there's 20 people in the room. We know exactly what each individual is doing, what their roles are, how things are going to progress. And so those are actually fairly easy um, decision trees. Uh, it's the leadership stuff that oftentimes tend to be, tends to be the most difficult. But there are times where we are facing uh, challenges where someone comes in and we really don't, it could be anything. It could be anything that's going on. And, and for example, we can think of COVID. You know, we were hearing about, okay, there's something going on in China. We heard about this virus. It's never going to get here. And then all of a sudden it's here. And then all of a sudden our colleagues are getting sick. How do we respond to this? And our frameworks, they weren't necessarily helpful there. And during those times, organizations, leaders needed to make a decision despite not having all the information that they wanted. And so that is the, really the, the decision-making in, in a, the crisis of chaos. And so, and there isn't necessarily a correct or incorrect decision there. It's, it's making a decision in the most informed way, using your expertise, understanding the, the, that the decision scenario is limited, but you just have to decide and then learn. You, need, you learn from 
the decision that you've made, how the environment reacts, what's going on as other information comes back. And so there are times that like COVID again was a good example, but there are times I think, uh, I think all of us have been through these moments of crisis where all of a sudden the frameworks are falling apart and we need to just step up and decide. And, uh, as an emergency physician, that was, it's helpful. Uh, my training, I didn't know a lot when I started out and it seemed like everything was chaos and crisis, but over time you start developing an, an understanding. Uh, some things become complex, some things become complicated and there's expertise. And then, then hopefully things become clear and you develop best practices around them. Yeah, that makes sense. And th- there is a distinction perhaps in, in in chaotic environments between perception and reality too, right? There things can be chaotic on the surface, but I guess on one hand can be managed very well with a system or process or experience. And on the other hand, it might be some kind of emotional reaction that you just need to be aware of that it's actually not what it seems on the surface. Yeah, I'm just giving, giving a vision of of the, the ocean and the calm waters underneath and the waves above. Mm. I mean, we can be in the fog and yet there's so much movement around us and, and, and chaos. That's oftentimes what's happening. Our, our vision is, is finite and we can only see uh, the immediate surroundings, but yet the, the total environment itself is moving and unknown and ambiguous and ever-changing. In a past life, I used to be a professional skydiver and was on the U.S. skydiving team for about four years and 4,000 skydives and 40 countries and all kinds of interesting scenarios. And uh, the reaction I always get is, in, as you would imagine, it's like, oh, it must be, it's crazy, it's intense. And the reality is that it's a very well-managed environment that's relatively safe. Right. Uh, relatively being the, the key word there. And it's been my experience my and most of my life at having to explain that. And most people not knowing just because of the perception of it that it is is so dangerous and that it's it's you know it, this this incredibly risky thing you you have high stakes but you have a lot of mitigation that takes place in there and there's a lot of training and a lot of and a lot of safety protocol procedure that mitigates all that risk uh, but it's it's really interesting to to have that experience and then you know trying to draw from that to say okay you know, like can you look at this chaotic environment and mitigate against the things that are risky have a process system protocols and ways to manage that that situation so that to your point before over time you can you can stabilize it it's funny in medical school i i did i went skydiving and so it was me and my colleagues and we went skydiving and, and just exactly as you're saying you're not just jumping out of a plane there's a there's definite steps and that week as we were doing our training and we'd go from medical you know class to class we would jump through the door in a way like we're going to be jumping out of the plane <laughs> and it, it helped us and it's funny because i can recall one of my classmates a like tall guy, I think it was like six foot five with a deep voice. And we, the, the area that we were jumping into, this was in Minnesota, it was harvest season. So there's these combines going around. And I remember itchy and scratchy. I just had the idea of like, we're going to like jump and land in the wrong area and the combine would eat us. (laughs) It all turned out well. And I I remember turning to this tall friend with a deep voice and said, that was great. What do you think? And he said, that was wonderful. His Uh, voice was on uh, multiple octaves. (laughs) He had a heart opening probably. That's right. (laughs) That's funny. Well, you made it. Congrats. It was a one and done skydive for you. Um, honestly, it was one of these things where we had to wait around so long, long for the weather. It was just like, I can't keep doing this. It, it took time, but uh, uh, that's something I, yeah, you don't, you don't think it. about. Yeah. I yeah. mean, 
people's experience of aviation is generally, you know, big airplanes flying at 30 plus thousand feet that can go through most weather scenarios and skydiving. They're small planes and small parachutes and you are very susceptible to wind and weather and you don't have power under your parachute. So, so true. <laughs> uh, all right. Sorry for the tangent there on skydiving. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really good. Back to what you're saying about the, you know, the the calm under the water and the waves on top. Like how can we as leaders like help create more stability in these environments for our team? Like what what can you draw from that you think's uh, relevant or valuable. Yeah, I think uh, just as you bring that up, the calm uh, underneath and, and the the turbulence above is just recognizing that each of us individually goes through this. It's it's difficult. It's difficult being a leader. And as you're out in front of these situations, um, we're oftentimes making mistakes. We're learning uh, as we go. And it's uh, it can be emotionally difficult. It can be physically difficult. And uh, just to realize that our best leaders come from those sorts of situations. And so to be self-accepting and to realize actually those are the points that you learn and you identify different ways and different ways of thinking about things and different ways of processing things. Um, And that makes you more effective. I think just to recognize that. And as a coach, it's, it's one of these great opportunities as I'm coaching colleagues to be able to see, oh, wow, this common, cool individual, there's actually a lot of turbulence going on you would not see. And just to understand that that is so normal. Um, and, and that actually is something to tap into. It's a great point. Yeah. And and you are an executive coach. So you, you do this often. And like you said, on the surface, maybe it seems like something, but when you peel it back, they're working through a lot too. And I know, know that that's common and, and you're, what you're experiencing and feeling uh, maybe as a new leader or experienced leader, uh, that that's normal. And uh, to be the best version of a leader you can be for your team, like try your best not to bring whatever um, you know, you're trying to work through and put that on your team. It's okay to be transparent that maybe you're battling with something, but come from a place of of intentional, I think, stability. Right. Well said. Yeah. Okay. Well... Anything else from the book that you want to share uh, today with the audience that you think would be valuable? I think uh, the key thing from a leadership perspective and, and, and becoming a better leader is reading about leadership and learning from others. And my hope is that the book offers an opportunity for you to learn about some new th- stuff that, that uh, are things that I do, but also uh, that unlocks maybe some other perspectives, other authors, individuals that you might pursue, you know, reading more about to to improve your ability to lead. So keep reading, keep learning. Amazing. If there's one thing you could have our listeners take away from our conversation today, what would that be? I think it's recognize those moments. And this could be with your kids. It could be with your family. It could be at work. When you're asked a question and how reflexively and quickly, you know the answer. And to recognize that during those moments, your expertise may be helpful, or it may be more helpful to not know the answer, to step back and then approach those situations from the perspective of a leader who is a coach and a facilitator. And so trying to develop shared perspective and shared reality, asking questions, discovering finding new solutions as opposed to stepping forward and pointing out the direction from your limited 
albeit experienced perspective. Love that. That's awesome. If the listeners want to pick up your book, and I hope they do, if they want to find you on social or anywhere that you have a, a presence, where can they find your book and where can they connect with you? Yeah, the book's available in, in any store. It's on audiobook and uh, electronic and also in, in hardback. And so it's You're the Leader, Now What? And then uh, you can find me at my very creatively named website, richardwinters.com. And, and there you can see links for social media. I'm, I'm on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for doing this with us today. And it was a lot of uh, really valuable insight. And I hope our listeners enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.